Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, we'll speak with Charles Coffey, the keynote speaker at the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce's Circles for Reconciliation event held earlier this week. He'll tell us all about his career dedicated to social justice and equality for all. Then we'll speak with a couple of the panelists at the event, Terry Brown of the Aboriginal Chamber of Commerce and Colleen Monroe from Hugh Monroe Construction Limited. We'll learn about their role on the panel and the importance of reconciliation to the business community here in Manitoba. Then we also spoke with Susan Algie, the curator of the Architecture and Design Film Festival. She gave us the scoop on the festival and where to catch some awesome films related to the fields of architecture and design this week. And finally, we'll hear from Jurita Grayeyes and Vanessa Tate with Indigenous Insights. We're going to learn about this new program that's soon to be available at the University of Winnipeg. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Good morning and welcome to RC360. Robert, how are you this fine April spring morning? Oh yeah, I guess it is officially (laughs) afternoon when this clock strikes 12, right? That's true. So the big news in the city Uh is the Winnipeg Jets, in my opinion, I'm going to call it right now, are going to make it to the second round. And this franchise will have won its first playoff series since coming back to Winnipeg. How How do you feel about that? I think that is very much likely. I saw a statistic somewhere that when a team is ahead in a series three to one, they have something like a 90.5% chance of shoring that up with one more win. So uh, the odds do not look uh, like... Like we'll somehow bow out. Yeah, of the well, I'll never at this say never. Ne- anyway, you know, never say never. Hockey is a very, uh, it can be a really swingy game and a really kind of crazy experience. You never know. That's why they play the games. But congrats to the Winnipeg Jets for uh, being up three one right now. Uh, of course, game five is tomorrow. Right back here in Winnipeg. Are you going to head down to the um, whiteout downtown and check things out? Um, I'm not sure. Remains to be seen. How about yourself? I, I read a thing that said there's going to be more people outside than there is inside in the arena. So they're assuming over 15,000 people are going to be showing up outside to support your Winnipeg Jets. Pretty I'd exciting. imagine it, it would get pretty loud. Might want yeah. to bring your plugs if no they were kidding. It gets a little chaotic out there. But for now... Let's uh, let's go to a little music to kick off today's show. We've got a really cool show. We're going to be talking all about uh, the uh, Circles for Reconciliation event that the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce held uh, earlier this week on Tuesday. We're also going to be learning about the Architecture and Design Film Festival that I think just started last night on the 18th. As for So it's going to be going on for the next few days. And then we're also going to learn about Indigenous Insights, which is a new program uh, that the University of Winnipeg is going to be rolling out soon. So lots to get to, but we always kick things off with the show. So Robert, why don't you do just that for us? We'll start things off with Petula Clark and Color My World right here on River City 360. See a dark cloud hanging round me Now there is only blue sky to surround me There's never been a gray day since you found me Everything I touch is turning to gold So you can 
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell here with you today, and we're now joined via telephone by Charles Coffey. He's the former head of the RBC in Western Canada, had a 44-year career at RBC, and uh, in 97, he was also named an honorary chief from Grand Chief Phil Fontaine at the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs. Charles, thank you for joining us today. Good afternoon, Nolan. Good to chat with you. It's our pleasure to have you. So you have a distinguished career, both in and out of the business world. Um, but today, we're, I want to kind of focus on a different aspect of your work. You've spoken out about education, economic, cultural, and social issues that impact Indigenous people for a long time now. Why, why has this been a, a major focus of, of your life's work? Well, when I was transferred uh, from Toronto to Winnipeg to head the Royal Bank's operations there in the summer of 89, I realized very quickly the very complex socioeconomic issues uh, impacting uh, Canada's founding peoples, Indigenous peoples. And I visited remote communities and uh, walked around the streets of uh, North Winnipeg and so on and so forth. And what I saw disturbed me greatly, Nolan. I mm -hmm. said to myself that this is not the Canada I know, and I made up my mind to speak up and speak out on, on issues impacting Indigenous peoples. At the same time, as I did that, I had the support of the most senior management of the, the Royal Bank to to raise these issues uh, in public foreign forums and so on, with a view to bringing about change as slow as it has been. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's almost 30 years of, of making that a priority for yourself. How have you seen, how, how have you seen the change happen over in Canada world and, and just sort of in our country in general? How have you seen the evolution of reconciliation and society's approach to reconciliation since as long as you've been sort of around? Well, in, uh, in, in the context of reconciliation, there have been very, there are huge highs, but also huge lows for me. But I am now convinced that there is uh, progress, uh, perhaps 
more incremental than I would like, but I would say the uh, the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and the 94 Calls to Action uh, are a wake-up call for Canada. And while I would agree that um, governments have a role to play in uh, implementing the Calls to Action, I think the private sector and citizens generally from coast to coast to coast have a role to play in, in reconciliation. How has your journey evolved over the years? I mean, obviously, you were a very empathetic person dealing with this probably before the bulk of Canadians even understood that how, how deep of a problem it was and, and how important it was to solve. But how, how have you grown over the years, would you say? Well, I, I tell the story that when my great-grandfather migrated from Ireland in I don't know, the 1840s somehow and settled in the upper St. John River Valley of New Brunswick, it was the Maliseet peoples there who... Uh, I would say helped him survive. So I, I maybe uh, many, many many years later, this is payback for mm-hmm. uh, uh, the indigenous peoples of New Brunswick enabling my uh, the coffee family to survive in a way. And then growing up as the seventh of nine kids in a small town in Brunswick, uh, my mother taught me at an early age uh, the importance of social justice issues. Perhaps they weren't known as that at the time, mm-hmm. but um, she introduced me to the need for to look after others. But again, when I went to Winnipeg, it was a real eye-opener for me. And uh, my views have evolved to becoming a very, from awareness originally to becoming a very strong advocate of Indigenous peoples. And Mm -hmm. as I said yesterday at the conference, that uh, I'll continue my work until every uh, every Canadian of Indigenous ancestry takes their rightful place in Canadian society. Well said. So yesterday's event, the there's a Circles for Reconciliation event held by the um, Chamber of Commerce. Why should the b- business community uh, want to attend events like that? And why do you think it's important for, for the business sector to sort of make this a priority? Well, uh, first of all, I full marks to the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce and the Aboriginal Chamber of Commerce and uh, Dr. Raymond Curry and uh, Clayton Sandy, who organized yesterday's event. 200 people there, uh, split half Indigenous and half non-Indigenous. But uh, the uh, to, to, to back to your question directly, the private sector, the corporate sector, has a huge role to play um, because Indigenous peoples are employees, they are clients, they are developing in terms of economic power with land claims and so on and so forth. And I fully expect that Canadian business heads, presidents and CEOs can use their speeches on various public policy issues to speak up on the plight of Canada's Indigenous peoples. Mm-hmm. And I shared yesterday with the audience a recent survey where it showed that 85% of corporate Canada or corporations in Canada were disengaged. I, I think, quite frankly, no one, that's an unacceptable situation. Right. And uh, we need to continue to push the envelope and speak up and speak out, as I said. These yeah, definitely. seems like sort of a top-down approach. And then once, once we see the leaders in the business sector sort of taking that leadership role, it's going to be a lot easier for both employees of them and just people in general watching, watching them uh, lead the way. Oh, exactly, Nolan. But I would say that change will happen and must happen at the grassroots level. Mm-hmm. And uh, using social media and uh, other forms of communication, we can get this groundswell of support and uh, perhaps then corporate entities will get the message that this, as they, I think, have, but simply need to do a little more 
in advancing the cause. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about the coffee fund, which was a gift from your time here in Winnipeg from RBC's Manitoba team uh, through the Winnipeg Foundation. What is the coffee fund's purpose, and uh, what is what what is maybe I'll, I'll phrase it this way: What is your current purpose in in life? Like, what are you busy doing these days, and and how are you helping? I. Um... I had a deep interest over the years, not only in Indigenous issues, but in early childhood development. I spent a lot of uh, my energy and time promoting women in business and women in politics. I was, while working for a living, the uh, executive champion of uh, diversity at the bank and uh, champion of Indigenous peoples and the women's market. But my interest in Early childhood development uh, developed as a result of my uh, association with Dr. Fraser Mustard, who renowned uh, medical practitioner who understood the importance of getting it right in the early years. Mm-hmm. And I uh, have given many, many speeches on the economics of early childhood mm-hmm. development. So recognizing that background, when I left Winnipeg, uh, a couple of executives at the bank uh, formed the coffee fund. The Royal Bank kicked in some money and... Uh, my family have put in some money, and others, uh, friends and other family members, have uh, donated to the coffee fund. And its focus is early childhood development, mm-hmm. but with a specific focus on Indigenous children in Winnipeg, for the most part, but elsewhere in Manitoba. So it's uh, it's, it's a very wonderful and a very generous uh, legacy gift, if you will, by the bank to uh, me upon my departure from when actually is when I retired from the bank which I that's oh, when cool. I set up in the, uh, retired in January of 2007 and that's when the fund was rec- was uh, formed and um, it's um, it was quite an honor very cool well you know obviously there's the benefits of of having kids get reading books and and learning at a very early age and it can obviously set them on the right path but talk a little bit about the economic um, benefit of that and how they are going to you know go to school and go to college and become productive members of society and it all starts at a very young age like even before they can talk very very uh, young age and that's why uh, uh, and but I want to I want to make the point right off the top that the responsibility for uh, raising children rests with parents and in many cases extended family members because uh, mm-hmm. most parents are working but we've got to get this right. We've got to ensure that children are given the best in terms of the environment, uh, schools, uh, textbooks, uh, a learning, loving, caring environment, and ensure that they don't drop out of school later mm-hmm. on because the economic cost to, to that is horrendous. I haven't got specific numbers off the top yeah. of my head, but um, uh, we need in this country to recognize the importance of our children. Everyone says, yeah, yeah, they're, they're very important. But when you look at some of the numbers, uh, poverty, for example, homelessness uh, amongst uh, single moms or single dads, uh, looking after children is, is, a, is a drain on society. Mm-hmm. And they deserve better, quite frankly. So I've been pushing the envelope on ECD for years, as many years as I have uh, Indigenous issues. For sure. Well, you're doing wonderful work. I want to thank you uh, from everyone at the show here for taking the time to talk to us today. And thank you for speaking at the event yesterday. Uh, is there anything, uh, before I let you go, I just want to ask one more question. Is there anything that you would say as just sort of a general uh, tip or trick or, or idea that the average Winnipegger can do to help uh, move this agenda forward and, and help make Winnipeg a better place for all of its citizens? 
I would say the most important thing is to listen to the voice of the indigenous person. They must, they should, and must be treated as equals. This is not a, uh, you know, a white man saying to indigenous peoples, "Here's what you should be doing mm-hmm. uh, to be better, or to do this, or to the, to do that." They must be uh, treated as equals, as I have attempted to do throughout my my career. And um, one thing I will share with you, Nolan, and your listeners, is a is a comment from a Cree elder from northern Manitoba who said to me in the early 90s, Mr. Coffee, listen or your tongue will cause you to become deaf. So I would say those in Winnipeg and Manitoba and elsewhere in Canada interacting with uh, Indigenous peoples uh, should take the advice of that Cree elder and uh, do more listening than talking and develop that respectful dialogue, which I think is reconciliation at its best at the grassroots level. Very well said, sir. Thank you so much for talking to us today. We really My appreciate it. My pleasure, your time. Nolan. I appreciate you uh, thinking of me for an interview with your audience there Absolutely. in the great city of Winnipeg. Thank you very much. Charles Coffey, former head of the RBC in Western Canada, an illustrious 44-year career at RBC, and one, and I guess the uh, inspiration behind the Coffee Fund, which was from the RBC's Manitoba team through the Winnipeg Foundation. Thank you so much for your time, sir. All the best. Thanks, Nolan. And as we mentioned, Charles was one of the keynote speakers at the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce Circles for Reconciliation event earlier this week. And we also had the chance to speak with Terry Brown and Colleen Monroe, who were panelists at the event. And we'll hear from them after our next musical break. Before we get to Terry and Colleen, though, we're going to hear some Don Cornell with Most of All right here on River City 360. <laughs> of all I want your warm embrace no one can take your place I need you most of all most of all I want your sweet caress Truly I must confess I need you most of all When I sleep at night I need you most of all. 
the way we used to kiss. Baby, I need you most of all. Welcome back to RC360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. As you heard before the break, uh, the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce hosted a Circles for Reconciliation event earlier this week on Tuesday. We've told you about the Circles on previous episodes of the show, uh, but this one had a bit of a, a business twinge to it, a business and corporate uh, kind of element to to really uh, sort of focus on that aspect of our society here in Winnipeg. One of the panelists for the event, Colleen Monroe, is the owner and president of Human Row Construction Limited. She uh, is actually the first president of the Manitoba Heavy Construction Association and the Western Canada Road Builders Association. Very talented, very smart, very articulate, articulate woman, and we spoke with her after the panel discussion that took place earlier this week. So why did you want to be a part of today's uh, gathering? I think it's so important to be part of this reconciliation gathering today because I think the business community has a large part in being able to uh, help with the healing that needs to be done for Aboriginal and Indigenous, all Indigenous people. Tell me a little bit about your story and how your company is uh, contributing to that. Well, we'd like to, uh, you know, tell about our stories of going into the communities and hopefully we can help make the community stronger and, uh, you know, than, than they were than when we actually came into the community. Um, we want to be able to have provide training through the Manitoba Construction Sector Council. Um, we also want to be able to make sure that we have job readiness, intro to construction from the training groups, be able to make this a successful partnership because we look at it as being collaborators together, not just a company coming in, taking the work and leaving. We want everybody to prosper. How does that improve the communities that you're going into? What are you trying to bring to that community? I think, you know, everybody wants to be have work. They want to be able to be a productive member of society. They want to have pride and they want to have a sense of accomplishment. And I think that that's what a company like ourselves, working with the sector council, can provide is that it is about feeling good about yourself and accomplishing and saying, I built that road. I built you know, that whatever it may be, lagoon, whatever it is, that they felt a part of it and are proud of that. What's it like to be in a room with uh, a lot of business sector uh, individuals who are, you know, movers and shakers and players here in Winnipeg? And why do you think telling this story is important to sort of, uh, to, that, to this audience? Because I think it's another way of doing business. And I'm, I'm hoping that we can actually be a force and lobby with government of some of the changes that may need to happen for it to be successful because I'd like to say I think the old way of tendering isn't right and I think it precludes a lot of what's happening and I think you know what has happened in the past we have to move forward and also sole sourcing has to be done you know maybe in a different way and maybe it's pre-fault qualifications because there's a lot of scenarios that are worked behind the scenes that just are not good for the business community or the indigenous communities. Are you optimistic about the direction um, Winnipeg and Manitoba businesses are going when it comes to reconciliation? Well, sometimes I think, you know, in a way, um, I'd like to say a little disappointed sometimes in the businesses, but I think there is a force that is coming now with the survivors 
and with people that have been in trauma that the force is unrecognizable to ignore anymore. So I think it's really not so much maybe business pushing it, but the, the truth and reconciliation survivors that are now so powerful that everybody is listening whether you want to or not. Yeah, their voices are, you can't ignore it anymore. We have for years. Uh, how did you feel when you were first asked to participate here? And, and how do you feel now that you're kind of done the panel and you've had the conversation and we're going to continue with the, uh, with the morning and the afternoon? Well, I, I think, again, it's a privilege and an honor to have been asked here. And um, I always say when I come to, you know, any type of venue like this, I always learn something. And I think when the doctor spoke about the trauma, it's like I never really put it in that perspective. I knew there was a lot of damage, but trauma is really what it is. And I think coming to something like this allows me to learn myself again, to make my company better, to offer more into the communities. Yeah, I think he chose that word very deliberately, you know, because it makes you think like, oh man, yeah, absolutely. Um, what are you going to take with you forward to when you go back to work on, I guess, Today. When, today, you're going back to work today. What are you going to take back with you having experienced uh, today's um, event? I think it's just another affirmation for me to keep going because it is very difficult the way the system is set up. And um, just to maybe have that affirmation that it is the right thing to do and to continue even though there's challenges and even though it's difficult, that uh, somehow this has to win out that it is the right thing to do. Thanks again to Colleen Monroe for speaking with us earlier this week. At the same event, we also spoke with Terry Brown. He's the chair of the Aboriginal Chamber of Commerce, and he too saw the importance of bringing the business community together with Indigenous peoples to understand the importance of reconciliation. Why did you want to be involved in today's uh, event? I've had many teachers in my life. Uh, many people that have taught me uh, how to get to this next level and I, I find it's my duty, my obligation in the region uh, to inspire others in order for them to accomplish the same thing. What are you hoping people walk away with having heard your discussion today and, and after going through the Circles of Reconciliation uh, activities this afternoon? Hope. What, are you optimistic with the way Manitoba and Winnipeg business communities are uh, approaching reconciliation? Very much so. It's a mistake that's fundamentally made on many different times is overreaching from one side to the other in terms of a patriarchal, matriarchal uh, format there. So this approach is very balanced. Uh, it has both Indigenous and mainstream speakers and the entire intent is for everyone here to feel comfortable so they feel the intent to share. Uh, I've heard tremendous stories from both the committee and from the days today that even inspired me to share deeper than I typically do. I think it tends, with the business community, they tend to be very sort of A-type personalities, ready to go out there and solve problems. Uh, when you were asked to be a part of this, what did you, what, what did you want to bring to the panel that you uh, thought maybe needed to be said? Balance. Balance? In the sense that you're, what are you balancing out? Uh, on the panel, you have a First Nation, you have a uh, mainstream business owner, and uh, the balance in the middle is the bridge between the two. How do you actually do business between a First Nation and a mainstream business owner? What do you think the average person out there doesn't understand about uh, Indigenous business and the importance of it to Manitoba? The size of Indigenous business, the importance of it, and where we're heading in the future. Uh, if we look down to the states, uh, it's minority procurement. 
Minority procurement basically reflects uh, what you purchase from um, suppliers as reflective of the citizens you sell to. I could call AT&T right now and sell them from a Native American company any credible product because that affects their negotiations for these things called cell towers, other communications with the Native American tribes. Um, I'm hopeful that Canada get to the point of um, economic power and not talking that uh, the United States has gotten to. Even probably 10 years ago, an event like this probably wasn't at the forefront of people's minds. How does it make you feel when you see the progress that's been made and do you think, where, where do we go from here? It makes me very hopeful in terms of the opportunity in the region. There is um, two main emotions I find that are involved, um, anger and shame uh, within the reconciliation side. Many people feel shameful and many other people feel angry and we heard that today. Uh, the importance is to bring those feelings out to resolve them so we can all collectively move forward there. Thanks very much, Nolan. And thank you to Terry Brown and Colleen Monroe for speaking with us today. Coming up next on River City 360, there's a very cool film festival that's happening in Winnipeg. It started last night, and we're going to learn all about it. We'll speak with Susan Algy. She's the curator of the Architecture and Design Festival. But before we get to that, here's Johnny Mathis with Just the Way You Are, right here on River City 360. Don't go changing to try and please me. You never let me down before. Don't imagine you're too familiar And I don't see you anymore I would not need you in times of trouble We never could have come this Ooh. 
Thank you for listening to RC360. Nolan and Robert here with you today, and we're now joined in studio by senior producer Sonny Primlo, and joining him is Susan Algie, the curator of the Architecture and Design Film Festival. Sonny? With me today is Susan Algie, executive director of the Winnipeg Architecture Foundation and curator of the Architecture and Design Film Festival of Winnipeg, presented by Winnipeg Architecture Foundation, Winnipeg's film group Cinematech, and Urban Idea. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thanks very much for uh, coming to talk to me, Sonny. For those who are unfamiliar with the Architecture Design Film Festival of Winnipeg, uh, could you briefly give us a description of it? Sure. Uh, we're in the seventh year, seventh annual festival. It's still the only one in the country that concentrates on architecture and design. And we really just want to reach a broad audience to get them interested in the design of their everyday life, their cityscape, and uh, the buildings they see. And if they're more knowledgeable, they'll demand better design in everything that they do. This year, the festival will be held between the 18th and will be going on until the 22nd of this month. I know we already missed a few great screenings, but what kind of films can people expect? Well, we've got a good range. We've got films from uh, 10 different countries. Um, There's noon hour films free at Millennium Library, uh, one on the UN, which I think is very pertinent these days uh, for people, and uh, one on a designer from um, New Orleans. As well, uh, we will have free screenings at uh, Fourth Coffee and at Gary Street Coffee in Old Market Square. So we we try to have a lot of free activities and as well uh, several good films at Cinematheque running all the way through the weekend. And as the only film festival in Canada devoted solely to architecture, where did the whole idea come from? Uh, well, uh, I have many great loves but uh, architecture is one and film is the other and so it just seemed natural to combine the two of them and uh, start start small and keep growing each year. The Architectural Design Film Festival has been around for seven years as you mentioned. Uh, what was it like the first year and how did it differ from today's festival? Well I think what's been really exciting from the very beginning is that there are lots of people who don't work in architecture, the field of design, etc., but who are keenly interested in it and finding out more about buildings in Canada and around the world. So even from the first year, we've had a pretty broad audience in terms of ages, backgrounds, and so on. And that is very exciting to me. I know the festival caters to those who are in the realm of film, uh, architecture, and design, but for people unfamiliar w- of that world, what can they get out of the festival? Well, I think there's uh, lots of things. As I said, because we have films coming from around the world, if nothing else, you get to see really interesting buildings in interesting places. You may never be able to travel there, but you can be an armchair traveler. So there's that aspect. As well with some of the films, we have panels following it. So there's a conversation. Um, On uh, Thursday the um, 19th, 
we have a special one that will feature landscape architecture followed by panels so people can start to find out what is involved in doing design, all of the different um, aspects of it. And, um, and then as they walk through the park or city, they can start to recognize what's, what has been done and, and, and what's behind the designs that they're seeing. And so you already mentioned a few of the locations, but where will the festival be taking place? I know there's quite a few uh, locations here. Uh, so predominantly the films are screened at the Winnipeg Film Group Cinematheque, which is an art space building in, in the Exchange District. Wonderful, comfortable theater, uh, great sound, fresh popcorn, so uh, it's a great place to go year-round. As well, we'll have uh, one screening that is actually on the Old Market Square stage. Uh, we'll have one screening that uh, uses a container in Old Market Square. And then as well, we'll be at uh, Gary Street Coffee, uh, 4th Winnipeg Art Gallery and the Millennium Library. So we try, to, um, we try to always pick interesting spaces. So not only will people see the films about design, but they'll get to go and see an interesting space. And we'll be screening a, a world premiere at a Stantec Architecture also. Um, uh, so that allows people to go see the office space and... Uh, uh, behind the scenes, which we don't always get a chance to do. Are the screenings free? Uh, some of the screenings are free. Um, uh, the noon hour ones are free. The ones in Old Market Square are free. We'll also have a Go Signs tour. And everything can be found on the website, which is adff.ca. Um, and so you can see which ones are free. And then at Cinematech, there is a charge. You do also have a festival pass, correct? Yes, you can buy a festival pass from the Winnipeg Film Group for $65. You can see, uh, I think it's 14 films, so that's a pretty good deal. For the Architecture and Design Film Festival, there is also a fun competition you had this year. Uh, tell me about ArcaShorts. Sure, so uh, this is the third year of ArcaShorts. It's a competition that we have where you make a film for two minutes or less. So most people are going to be making that on their... On their um, telephones. Uh, we've had submissions from around the world, which is quite exciting. And uh, we have a category for under 18 and over 18. And uh, each year, the quality of the films have been increasing. It's quite remarkable. And there's a free screening of all the films at noon hour on Saturday at Cinematech. And everybody is most welcome to come. And it gives you a chance to see some people that are going to be perhaps great filmmakers in a few years. And so how many entries did you receive? Um, uh, we received, I think, uh, 20 entries uh, from around the world. Did you get to see any of the shorts? And could you give us a brief idea on some of the interesting things that you may have seen from the submissions? Uh, I have seen some of them. I don't want to reveal too much because the winners haven't been announced yet. They'll be announced on Saturday. Uh, but just to say that uh, there's a couple of Winnipeg ones that are, one is amazing in its technology, and the other is fun, fun, fun. So I'll leave it at that. Come on Saturday at noon, and you can see them all for yourself. So based on the crowd response, uh, will there be an opportunity to create a film for next year? Absolutely. So um, with the Arca Shorts, it's an annual competition. It's open to everybody. There's no charge. And you can find all the information on our um, festival website. So what kind of prizes can the winners expect? Well, 
That is a secret, but we do pick prizes that are related to film and architecture. Uh, for those looking to partake in some great film and see some amazing visuals, be sure to check out the Architectural Design Film Festival happening throughout our city. For more information on the Architecture Design Film Festival, where can people go and what, again, is the website? The website is adff.ca. You can also find printed copies of the program in various local coffee shops and uh, at Cinematheque. Thank you once again, Susan, for taking the time out of your day to share with us. Uh, but before I let you go, is there anything else you would like to add? Uh, just uh, come on out and, and learn about uh, your city and uh, cities around the world. Thank you. Thanks, Sunny. Coming up after the break, we'll learn all about Indigenous Insights from Jarita Grey-Eyes and Vanessa Tate. It's a new program that'll be available at the University of Winnipeg, and we'll talk about the program and why it's important for people to, uh, to learn and take part in this programming. So before we get to that, though, here is Peter, Paul, and Mary with The First Time I Ever Saw Your Face, right here on River City 360.
Welcome back to River City 360. With me today is Jarita Grayage, Director of Community Learning and Engagement at the U of W, as well as Vanessa Tate, Program Manager of Indigenous Insights, a program soon to be offered by the University of Winnipeg, to talk about a great program offered to organizations through the University of Winnipeg called Indigenous Insights. Welcome to the show, Vanessa and Jarita. Good morning. It's great to be here. The Indigenous Insights Program is a project of the University of Winnipeg's Indigenous Affairs in cooperation with the Indigenous Advisory Circle. Uh, the program was developed by Indigenous peoples to help enhance the knowledge and understanding of Indigenous peoples in response to the 94 Calls to Action, published in 2015. Some Manitobans may have lived in this province their whole lives, but are unfamiliar with the province's past and the history of the Indigenous people here in Canada. Why should more organizations learn about the history of our Indigenous people? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, the University of Winnipeg, this project really began um, with this understanding that, you know, we had identified indigenization as a strategic priority of the university, and we had sort of developed this pathway for current university students to learn about indigenous histories and knowledges, worldviews, um, through the indigenous course requirement, um, which was implemented last fall. Um, but we realized that there was no sort of, um, you know, partner component to that for people who had maybe already received their degrees and were in the workplace. And so we really said, you know what, there's an opportunity here um, for the University of Winnipeg, you know, who's been a leader in Indigenous education in programs, um, you know, for access for Indigenous and newcomer people, that we really had an opportunity um, to share some of this expertise that we have um, with a wider audience beyond current university students. And when the Indigenous Insights program was first developed, what was the initial intent, like the goal? Um, so the intent was, you know, we were approached by a member of the business community and Wab Canoe, who at the time was the Associate Vice President of Indigenous Affairs here at the University of Winnipeg, um, you know, had come into the role with some, you know, pretty significant media skills, right? So um, Wab had hosted the CBC series, The Eighth Fire, and people had sort of seen um, his work there and really thought, you know what, what if there was sort of an Eighth Fire that went a little bit more in depth? And that really allowed people to sort of think through um, some of the issues that we see contemporary um, in our communities. But also, you know, what are these historical processes, I think, that have led to the outcomes that we see today? And, and how can we make sure that people have this understanding of um, those historical things that have happened and how they sort of play out in contemporary society. And so really that impetus came from, you know, this recognition of our, of our ability to have world-class um, Indigenous faculty and educators on staff and combine it with this ability to sort of tell things in a new way through a video-based series. In your experience, why is it important that organizations learn about the history of our Indigenous people and how can organizations benefit from this program? Absolutely. I mean, I think we like to think that, you know, history has always been told in a way that is reflective of all peoples, but that's simply not true. You know, Winnipeg is an amazing city, but it's also a city that faces um, significant challenges. And, you know, we can see that in sort of the overrepresentation of Indigenous peoples within um, homeless uh, people experiencing homelessness. Um, we can see that in some of the housing instability. And I think, you know, more recently, we've really had a lot of conversations about, you know, violence against Indigenous women and two-spirit people and girls. Um, and also, you know, we've sort of seen these issues, but we don't understand, you know, the roots of these problems and, you know, the, the role that I think the Canadian government and society has played in the creation of the situations that we see today. And so I think removing people 
from you know blaming individuals for being in circumstances and really to get a wider perspective on um, the history um, that sort of resulted in these issues is important. But it's also important that people just have a baseline understanding of some things that have happened, like the residential school era or you know, indigenous views on economic development. I think those are all really important things. Um, you know, we understand that there really is um, currently a commitment to, to get a better understanding of what's happening in our society and how indigenous people and non-indigenous people can work um, better together. And I think that starts from maybe some common understandings of things that are happening in our community. Absolutely. How many modules are there and what does each module cover? There's seven modules. So uh, the first one is uh, what's in the name. So it, it looks at uh, the labels applied to Indigenous people here in Canada and um, how Indigenous people define themselves, as well as it goes further in depth of dispelling some of the stereotypes around um, Indigenous people, you know, just uh, living on welfare or, you know, um, so the discriminations that are towards our people. So within the video module, um, there's a... Uh, entrepreneur and who discusses some of the challenges that he faced with uh, doing business on reserve versus off reserve so there's a there's a segment in there um, and then the next one goes into treaties and duty to consult so this one begins the discussion around what the treaties were and as well as the duty to consult around um, economic development in um, indigenous communities um, of course further we could elaborate more on the treaties because it's a fulsome discussion so it pr the facilitation provides an opportunity for participants to ask those questions um, and that aren't discussed within um, the video. Definitely covers a lot of topics here, but um, this is only the beginning of a learning experience. Uh, during the program, there are opportunities for the group to share their thoughts in a safe space with no judgment. I know that you're currently in a pilot phase, um, but without being too specific, what are some interesting things you took out of that experience as a moderator and what should organizations expect from an experience like that? So as a moderator, I think um, as well as it was a learning experience um, for myself because we were able to provide that two-way dialogue, uh, not just, you know, for myself and being the facilitator and, you know, kind of having more of like an instructional classroom base, but rather it was um, a way to, you know, engage with the participants and as well as have, uh, be able to answer some of the questions that they had and also gave me an opportunity you know um as uh, indigenous you know Cree woman from you know northern Manitoba who has also has been affected by you know economic development um it gave me an opportunity to to provide some some stories uh based on you know my journeys and perspective as well as um answering some of the questions that were asked and as well as new questions that came up that you know um indigenous insights is taking in, into account and as well as um you know further um digesting some of the information that was uh, provided at the facilitation. I would like to acknowledge that we are on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabeg, Cree, Oje Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. And as such, it is our duty as Winnipeggers to take the time to understand and share our past and the history of the Indigenous people in our province. Together, we should all work together towards reconciliation. For those who are interested in having their organizations learn more about the Indigenous Insights program, where can they go to find you? So for the organizations that would like to, you know, um, have Indigenous Insights come to their organization, um, you can actually, um, we will be um, launching a website as well. But also, there's an email address that you can um, contact us as uh, indigenousinsights at uwinnipeg.ca and um, you can contact the University of Winnipeg Indigenous Affairs Office. And thank you once again for coming to speak with us. But before we go, is there something you would like to share with our audience? 
I mean, I think, um, you know, what Indigenous Insights really does is it allows us um, to start the conversation. And I mean, you know, the videos are extremely well produced and really give you a short snapshot um, that can give you a really great place to start a conversation. And I think what's really um, exceptional about the program is that you know we've engaged um, many different facilitators who have lots of different backgrounds and experiences and it is about you know starting a dialogue you know i think a lot of times um, people can say you know i want to learn more i want to learn more about indigenous people and history and culture but i just don't know where to start and i think the start is really about um, starting a conversation and i think that's what indigenous insights does um, and it's really quite an exceptional product and and a, and a way to start um, a dialogue that I think is really necessary and I think people recognize that that we need to start somewhere and this is a great somewhere to start absolutely thank you both thank you for listening to River City 360 Nolan and Robert here with you today and we wanted to take a little moment to tell you about an event that's coming up in on May the 3rd where uh, a renowned and very well-respected author Richard Florida is coming to to the city to talk about his book and how it pertains to the design and the uh, and how Winnipeg is sort of laid out. We've had vital conversations in the past that discussed the lines that divide here in Winnipeg and dis- and discussed different design um, elements and different design strategies that we have here. We had panelist discussions come in last week for our most recent vital conversation, and this newest vital conversation is taking place on May third. Absolutely. And uh, you might recognize Richard Florida from some of his past books. Uh, He's written The Rise of the Creative Class. He's written a book called Who's Your City? And uh, he has a recent book called The New Urban Crisis. And that'll be uh, a lot of the focus of what he's going to be talking about. So how is that, that new urban crisis? How are inequality, gentrification, segregation... Uh, unaffordability, how are those things affecting Canadian cities, including our own right here in Winnipeg? How do those things affect our cities? And, and what are some of the things that we can do about it? How can we, how can we reverse those, uh, how can we reverse those things? So um, he'll have a very informative presentation and uh, we're really looking forward to having him here in Winnipeg. Um, That is taking place on Thursday, May 3rd, at 7 p.m., and that's at the Hotel Fort Gary in the Provence Ballroom. And uh, tickets are available online if you'd like to purchase them. Uh, you can go to winnipegvitalsigns.org to, um, to purchase tickets to the event. You can also find the event on Facebook as well. If you just search for Vital Conversation with Richard Florida, uh, you should be able to find it there as well. That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and a huge thank you to all of our guests for talking to us today. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, please visit our website at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback about the show. If there's anything that you'd like to comment on, the number to call, it's our listener line, and it's open 24-7, so all you have to do is leave a message, 
and the number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also send an email if you like, and our email address is rivercity360 at wpgfdn.org. If you want to talk to us over Twitter or over Facebook, you can do that as well by searching at rivercity360 on Twitter and rivercity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell saying goodbye and signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend.